Well, okay, let's go ahead and dive into God's Word together. We're going to be in James chapter 4 today, and um, you can go ahead and find your place there. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. And um, as I mentioned um, in our opening, uh, yesterday we celebrated the 244th birthday of our nation. I love Independence Day personally. Um, I love that it falls in the summer. I love uh, celebrating freedom. I love the, uh, the grilling out and the fireworks and all the stuff that normally comes with it. Um, you know, and there's a lot of great things about our nation um, that I like to celebrate. I, like, like we mentioned, freedom and justice and equality and the things that we, we, that we strive for. And, and, you know, our nation's not perfect. You know, I, I, I love it. I think it's as, you know, it's the greatest greatest place to live on the planet that you know it's it's my homeland right and so and I'm you know and sure a lot of people feel that way about their nation but you know I I know our nation's not perfect it never has been and by the way this side of the new heaven and new earth there won't be a perfect nation uh, there won't be a perfect country to live in because this world is, is broken and fallen because ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, sin has run rampant and every nation has problems, every country has problems, every city has problems because they're all made up of people like you and me and we have problems and this real big problem we have called sin that messes up everything. But, but we can get better, right? The, as we already have. We've, you know, I believe we, we are, we are uh, a nation who can continue um, to strive to do, to do great things. And right now in our nation, we're in a very unique season, uh, no doubt about it. And it can be a scary time right now to turn on the news, right? I mean, it, it's a, an intense time. It can feel chaotic at times, a little surreal uh, with the health crisis and all the different things going on. But we need to listen to the, I want you to understand something that we know. I just want to remind us of a basic biblical truth here. The pandemic, right? The health crisis that we see all over the world right now, that is in the world because sin is in the world. Ever since sin entered the world, We've had sickness in the world. We have pandemics in the world because the world's fallen and the world's broken. And so the reason we have injustice in the world today, the reason we have racism in the world today is because the world's fallen. People are sinful and people do sinful things. And so justice isn't always as just as it should be in this world. God's justice is perfect. Ours is not always. Um, And and because of it, people sometimes, as we talked about in James chapter 2, show ungodly partiality, whether that be over economic reasons or ethnicity or whatever it may be, racism, things of that nature. And at the same time, the reason we have riots and the reason we have anarchy and destruction uh, many times in our, in our cities like we've seen in some situations, that's also because the world is falling. People are sinful and they do sinful things. But in the midst of all of this, God is still on the throne. And that's an important thing for us to remember. And at the root of every person outside of Christ is a heart that is far from God and a heart that needs to experience God's grace. We live in a fallen world, and there is a world system uh, that has values and beliefs and morals that are in direct conflict with the values, the beliefs, and the morals uh, that are according to God's wills and uh, God's will and espoused in um, the Bible. And the Bible speaks to this worldliness uh, time and again in the New Testament, in particular in First John and the Book of James. This idea of operating according to the sin marred system. So when we talk about worldliness, it's what we're about to get into. We need to understand we're not we're not talking about the world as in the sense of do you love like loving your neighbor? Like don't don't love the world, so don't love your neighbor. No, that's not what it means. We're talking about a particular system that is marred by sin, that is in rebellion to God. It's a Aligning with rebellious man's sinful ways instead of God's ways. It's aligning with Satan's ways even. 
the prince and the power of the air instead of God's ways. It's a, it, this, this worldliness, this sinful system is at work in the world, okay, all over the world. Because sin is in the world and sinful people are in the world, there's this sinful world system that is opposed to God's will, that's opposed to God's purposes. It's at work in our nation, right? And it's, listen, it's at work in churches because there are sinners in churches and there are people that profess to know Christ who actually don't know Christ that are in churches. And so this worldliness is this, this environment that sin thrives in, this environment that exists and is created by sin because of this fallen world that we live in. And in James chapter 4, he addresses worldliness. He addresses worldliness in the church. And the only hope for this world is for people to recognize that we live in a fallen world uh, and, and our own sin is causing our own problems. We, we sin, we, we rebel against God, and, and we, we, there's repercussions for that, right? And we, we're going to face um, an eternal judgment for that unless we find God's grace, turn to God, and experience his grace through Jesus Christ. And today, James addresses those in the church about this topic of worldliness, and he says, listen, I want you, uh, it wants us to look inward. He wants us to look inward and to allow God's grace to conquer any hint of worldliness in our hearts. And for those given over to worldliness, those who have become friends of the world and who are, as such as James would say, enemies of God, held captive to their sin, held captive to a broken world system, he says, I want you to come to God. I want you to come to God in repentance and faith. So that's where James is taking us today. Look with me at James 4, verses 1 through 12. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of note to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? One commentator referred to verses 4 through 10 here in James chapter 4 as the heart of the book of James. It makes sense. It's the call to repentance for any behavior that is outside of God's will, that is worldly in its ways. Uh, And there's been a lot of behavior that James has addressed and will continue to address in this book that is what you might call worldly. In a sense, um, he's addressed the worldliness that is partiality, right? Um, Sinful partiality that we looked at in James chapter 2. That's according to... That's according to the world. That's not according to God's 
God's will. It's, it's due to the, the fallen sinful nature of this world. Being a hearer only of the word and not a doer of the word. Or um, uh, using your tongue in a way that tears down others and in, in, in a way that is, is hurtful. Uh, false wisdom that we talked about last week versus true wisdom. Uh, worldliness manifests itself in many ways. So in some sense, this is the heart of the book in which James pulls everything together and around this topic of worldliness and operating as a friend of the world as opposed to as a friend of God and calls people to repent. So here's the big idea today that I think we need to take away from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. The big idea is this. Only God's grace can conquer the worldly heart. Only God's grace can conquer the worldly heart. Heart. And I want to give you four principles or four takeaways, whatever you want to call them here, that is kind of support that and help us dive into that and kind of begin to uh, scratch around here on this uh, passage and begin to see what God wants to say to us today, okay? Only God's grace can conquer the worldly heart. So uh, four things to help us see and kind of understand this. Number one, worldly conflicts with others come from within, right? They come from within. They come from the heart. Worldly conflicts with others come from within. And just that statement, we're kind of saying some things. There's, there's a conflict or, a, um, as James is going to show us here, kind of a war with others that is world. It's a worldly way of doing things. It's, it's not of God. It's not God's will. And this comes from within. It comes from our own heart. James asked the question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And that word quarrel means literally to war or to battle. He's using very aggressive uh, warfare language here. He even speaks of a, a war going on within you, right? Your desires at war within you. Apparently, there, there was lots of fighting going on in these churches, and James seems to be pointing out that it has the potential the potential to get violent. Uh, I agree with the commentators who say he's not necessarily saying it's gotten violent. He's saying it has the potential to get violent um, in these things. We're that sinful. And remember from chapter 3 that those operating in true wisdom will be peacemakers, not not people stirring up strife and fights, not, not quarrelers, but peacemakers, we said last week. And so these people are operating according to a worldly false wisdom. And it's breeding fights and quarrels and war, wars of words and, and, and wars of agendas. It's gotten ugly, apparently. If you look down at verses 11 and 12, he kind of seems to kind of come back to that topic of dissension that's taking place in the community of faith. And James warns them to not speak evil against one another. He says, if you speak evil in, against one another, and that, when he says speak evil, it literally means if you slander one another, a brother, or he, slander a brother, or he says, or judge them, meaning to stand over them in a critical, overly scrutinizing sort of way. He says, you speak evil against and judge the law. Now, why is that? Because the law condemns these things. And so when you go out and do behavior that the law condemns, it's like you're putting yourself over the law, right? It's like you're, you're becoming a law unto yourself, like you're the boss, right? And so if you judge the law, he says you're not a doer but a judge. And he says there's only one of those and only one lawgiver too, and that's God. So he's saying you're, you're putting yourself in the place of God when you do this. And only God can save and only God destroys. And who are we to judge, to condemn, to overly criticize and scrutinize our neighbor? And what we're seeing here is that this horizontal relational conflict that he starts talking about in verse 1, and he's talked about already in the book, and that he talks about in verses 11 and 12, uh, it really points to a deeper issue. It, it, it points to a vertical relationship issue, an issue with God. When, when, we, when we have an issue with others and we hate others, we slander others, we demean others, we quarrel with others, we, uh, we tear others down, when we, when we do this, it, it really is a symptom of a bigger problem, and that problem is a problem going on in our heart between us and God. Our hearts are not right with God, and so we war against his image bearers. 
Now, where does all this come from? Where does all this conflict come from? He says, well, your passions are at war within you. It, it comes from within. The word here for passions is the Greek word where we get our word hedonism, okay? And so the idea here is sinful desires. Uh, you desire, you don't have uh, what you want, so you murder, he says. Um, uh, as Douglas Moo comments, uh, James seems to be pointing out the hypothetical eventuality to their behavior, right? If it, go, if it goes unchecked, this is where it could lead. If they continue to covet, right, desiring other stuff, desiring others' way of life, and, 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 want, and wishing you could take that, make it yours, coveting that, he says, and to be ruled by that sinful desire, it can lead to a destructive place. Uh, you, you get desire not having, and you'll murder, right? Because sin always grows. It always escalates. It always becomes bigger than we meant for it to. It, it always is worse than we think it is. And it just has a way of like a snowball, right, getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse and more and more destructive. You know, I remember, you might remember the, uh, in the 80s, the movie The Gremlins, right? The little cute little guys. But if you fed them after midnight, what happened? They turned into violent monsters, right? And so here's the horrible thing about sin. It's even worse than a gremlin. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter uh, when you feed it. It just grows and gets uglier and more monstrous and it gets more destructive. This is what sin does. And yes, something like coveting can grow into something like murder. That's the human heart. That's what goes on inside of people. And the root of murder and quarrels and fights, all those outward conflicts are rooted in the broken world's way. These desires live in the heart. It's in you and me. The problem, man's problem, is man. Our problem is us. And listen, a a worldly heart will always lead to worldly living. Always. It, It will lead to a worldly attitude. It will lead to worldly behaviors, worldly relationships, worldly ways of dealing with conflict. Hence the quarrels, hence the fights. And you can trace it. You see the fights and the quarrels, and you trace it to things like covetousness, which is sinful desire, which live, and you trace that to these desires they live where? In the heart. That's where our desires come from. And the most amazing thing about the power of the gospel is how it has the ability to change our desires, to transform us. That's the good news of the gospel, that when we put our faith in Christ, man, he transforms us. We get a new heart that has new desires. I love um, Johnny Hunt, former pastor of First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia. He used to say, uh, when God saved me, he changed my want-tos, right? And, and, and that happens. God transforms us. Now, we still struggle with sinful desires. We still, we still struggle with those sinful want-tos. If we didn't struggle with the desire for sin, we wouldn't ever sin. So we still struggle with that. But the dominating desire of the redeemed heart, of the new heart, is to obey God. We don't do it perfectly. We still desire sin sometimes. We still fall into sin. I get all that. But the dominating desire of our hearts, deep down, we really want to obey God. There's this conflict now when we, when we find ourselves at war within us here. And we deep down, we really want to obey God. We really want to honor God and, and, and because the gospel has transformed us. And we have a new heart that longs to walk with him and, and longs to be more like Christ. So look at your life. Are there worldly conflicts is there quarreling and fighting according to the world's ways? It, well, it comes from worldly desires in your heart. Things like coveting and jealousy. Notice, this is affecting their prayer life. You see it? You do not have, he says, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So on one hand, some do not have anything because what? Though they have, sin, though they have sinful desires like covetousness, they don't have a holy desire to pray right? Uh, So prayerlessness creeps in. Worldliness and prayerlessness always go hand in hand, right? So instead of being given to prayer and asking God to provide and to lead and to direct, 
We're given to covetousness and we're eat up with desire for what other people have. And on the other hand, some do ask, some do pray, but they, they don't receive. Why? Because they ask wrongly. They ask with the wrong desires. They ask to spend it on their passions. passions. And when they do ask, their sinful desires are their motive for asking. So, so rather than a lack of desire for prayer, they're eat up with sinful desire. All this is going on in the human heart. So our heart problems always cause prayer problems. And when we have fights and quarrels with others, it's symptomatic of something greater, problems with God, which manifests itself in things like our prayer life. So that brings us to number two. Worldliness leads to enmity with God. Worldliness leads to enmity with God, or you might say war with God. In verse 4, James calls those consumed by fights and evil desires adulterous people. He's not talking about physical adultery here, but uh, spiritual adultery. The Old Testament at times would, um, would liken spiritual idolatry. Uh, the people of God that claim to know God, love God, and worship God, worshiping false idols, it, it would liken that to adultery. Claiming to know God, worshiping something else. Here, Claiming to know God, there are people that are ultimately really worshiping themselves, loving sin and idols instead of loving God, right? It's a form of a, a spiritual adultery. And James asked, do you not know that friendship with the world, because that's what this adultery is, it's ultimately friendship with the world. He says it's enmity with God, and that word enmity means hostility. The idea is by befriending the world, you are declaring war with God, and that is not healthy. <laughs> Remember, the world here is not befriending a lost person. It's not befriending your neighbor. It's choosing to live according to the values, the beliefs, the morals that are not in line with God's revealed will. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. It's whatever makes sin look good and righteousness seem strange. <laughs> this is what um, John says about it in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John writes this, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Now, he's not talking about not loving the people in the world. You see what I'm saying? He's talking about a world system. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when you look at that passage, what's the opposite in the passage to worldliness? It's doing the will of God, right? The world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you, you, can't, you can't love the world and do God's will, right? You can't love the world and be friends with God. You see, God and worldliness are opposed. We can't operate outside of the will of God in rebellion to his purposes, in rebellion to his plans, in rebellion to his revealed will, in rebellion to his written word, and claim to be walking with him. Uh, the worldly sin in this text, or I guess you'd say the worldly sins in this text, are not the ones that we generally see ranted against, right? When you, maybe you, you grew up in certain contexts uh, and you heard worldliness ranted against, uh, railed against in certain, in, in certain churches, um, traditionally speaking. Um, what's being called out here is not the things that we tend to have heard railed against. He, he, he's not railing against secular music here, <laughs> He's not railing against going to the movie theater. It's relational conflict. It's coveting. It's prayerlessness. It's self-centered prayers. If you expand throughout the book, it's sinful partiality, including racism. It's misuse of the tongue. It's false wisdom. It's being double-minded. It's hearing the word of God but refusing to do it. It's injustice towards the poor in chapter 5. All of this likely would fit into the category of worldliness that James is rebuking here. 
a little broader, a little more diverse than maybe what we, we in, 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 if you grew up in church that you always heard it likened to. There are a lot of wars that you can win, but you are not going to win a war with God. And that's what worldliness is. It, it, you're, you're, you're living life in direct opposition to God's way, and you're declaring a war with God. Listen, if a nation were to, Lord forbid, if a nation were to uh, declare war on the U.S. and bomb the U.S., it would be considered an act of war. That's what we'd call that, right? We call that an act of war. And then the U.S., the United States, would then have to say, okay, you obviously do not want to be friends. You don't want to be allies. You're declaring war. You're attacking us. And then we would decide how to respond, right? Our leaders would decide how do we respond to this attack. It would not be the U.S. desiring the conflict. The conflict was created by the aggressor. And you could substitute that for any nations that you would like. I'm just trying to make a point here. Sin is an act of war with God. God desires peace. Worldliness is the environment and system that's been created by sin. It's a system of rebellion against God. So to be a friend of the world is to rebel against God. You are, you are the aggressor. We are the aggressor when we sin against God. And God desires peace. But God is just and God is holy. And there can be no peace if sin is not dealt with because sin is declaring war against him and declaring him as an enemy. And you make yourself his enemy when you choose, we choose friendship with the world over God. That's what James says here. You're the one firing the, the bomb, so to speak. But God will not lose the war. Now, if you're in Christ, you have peace with God, the Bible teaches us, through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the warning here for us would be this. Why would we choose to live in a way that shows up, that, that, that we're living like someone who's at war with God? That, that's God's enemy. And when we choose to operate in a worldly way and to do things the world's way, the broken, fallen way of the world, instead of being led by the Holy Spirit and doing things according to God's revealed will in his world, word, uh, when we do that, we're living like we're at war with God. We're living like God's our enemy instead of like God's our friend. There's a warning to be heeded there. And the danger is if, if life, in life, if it continually you, it, your life continually shows that you're at war with God and not at peace with God, maybe you don't have the peace through Christ that you claim to have. If hearts remain worldly, and they remain unchanged, there's a, there's a problem there. And James is warning about that because there were no doubt people that were in the community who didn't really have peace with God through Jesus Christ. They claimed to, but their lives were showing that they, in fact, were at war with God. They were, in fact, still given to the way of the world. Now, at the same time, I'm sure there were believers, people who love Jesus and know Jesus, and, but were still struggling with sin like we all do, who were, who were struggling with seasons of this and who were struggling with worldliness and who were battling this. And James is warning them, like, hey, man, that's, that's the way of the people that, that are enemies with God. R repent. The answer is always repent. So in verse 5, we see what is considered maybe the most, the most difficult to translate verse in all the New Testament. The ESV seems to have it right, I believe, in their translation. The point seems to be that God created you with a spirit. He gave you life. He desires for you to live for him, to worship him. And the Old Testament speaks of God being jealous in this sort of way, jealous for our worship. And he desires his glory, right? And he desires what's best for you. Uh, his glory and our good. And so and that's, and what's best for us is to worship him, to know him, and to love him, to glorify him. And worldliness prevents people from living for and worshiping God, and it's utter rebellion against him. And God demands, he demands that we align with him and his word. He demands it. 
That's what we're created for. And here's the thing. So this creates this conflict, right? Especially, and in, 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 in it's resolved only by God. God makes, God makes living the way he calls us to live possible. The, the only way to live, not worldly, but in line with God's will, the only way to, to, to live at peace with God and to live a life that shows that you're at peace with God is by God's grace. And that's number three. God's grace can conquer worldliness. And only God's grace can conquer worldliness. Verse six, the answer to worldliness, the answer to God's demand that we live for and worship him, the answer to being God's enemy is God's grace, the unmerited favor of God. He gives, he says, God gives more grace. His grace is greater than our sin. His grace is enough to deliver us and to empower us, right? God can save us from our worldly sinful ways, and God can transform us and empower us to live the way he wants us to live, all by grace. In fact, his grace is our only chance. James points out that scripture teaches God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble. The the message of the Bible is that if we remain in our sin, uh, that we, we make God ultimately into our enemy, and his judgment ultimately will be crushing. It'll be crushing. However, God who is the judge, is also our only hope. If we turn to him and we receive his grace through Jesus Christ, we can be friends with God and be reconciled to God. See, worldliness makes God out to be the bad guy. It's what it does. Always makes God out to be the bad guy, bad guy, out to ruin your life, out to control you and manipulate you. But see, in the Bible, God is the hero. He's the only one who can save you from you. He's the only one who can save you from sin and me from sin. He's the only one who can save us from destruction. He's the only one who can save us and rescue us out of the snare of worldliness. Believers are those who have experienced God's grace. We know God's grace is chiefly expressed in the sending of his son, Jesus, who died in our place on the cross, bearing the sin that, we, uh, that we've sinned, bearing the wrath that we deserve uh, to, to take dying in our place, and being raised from the dead. And if you need to be reminded today of God's grace, look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb. Uh, Tangible expressions of the grace of God. And understand, God's grace can more than save you from sin's penalty. God's grace can empower us to live for his glory. And you need grace not just to not go to hell. You need grace to live the Christian life. It's how we live, right? We're dependent upon God. And the answer for every person who is friends with the world and enemies with God, right, is the grace of God. You need the grace of God. The God that you shake your fist at. The God you declare war with through your sin. He's our only hope. His grace is great. His grace is greater than our sin. If you, if you remain proud in your sin, God will oppose you, James says. But if you humble yourself and receive the grace that he offers in Jesus, grace to conquer your sin, grace to be delivered from its penalty and empowered to live in victory for his glory, oh, you can be friends with God. You can be in right relationship with God. So that brings us to our fourth point here. Number four, we must humbly come to God. We must humbly come to God. God's grace is our only hope, so we need to come to him humbly. James paints a picture here of humility before God. It's a picture of repentance. This is what it looks like to humbly come to God and receive his grace. Verse 7, he says, submit, right? Submit to God. Worldliness is rebellion against God and his will. We we, we can't repent if if we're not willing to submit to God and align ourselves with his will. Submitting to God and resisting the devil go hand in hand. Uh, you can't be fully submitted to God's will and the lordship of Jesus and be given over to the devil's worldly ways, the prince and the power of the air. 
And this is a reminder that worldliness is spiritual. There's a, spirit, it's a spiritual issue. There's a spiritual war going on. By the way, so is repentance. Repentance is spiritual warfare. Satan is at work in the world. James says, resist him and he will flee. Uh, we live in a spiritual world. Real things are at stake. We have a real enemy, and he's at work in the fights and in the quarrels and in the covetousness that's going on. He longs for you to give in to sinful desires, and we need to receive peace with God through Jesus and declare war on the devil. He says in verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to draw near to God through Christ because that's the only way we can come. Repentance is more than turning from sin. It's more than stop doing some things. It's coming to God. It's not simply about stopping something. It's about turning to God, drawing near through Jesus. And God says, when we do that, when you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, James says. Think about it. The one James said that we declared war with and enmity, he offers to draw near if we draw near. God wants people to repent. He wants you to, to be close to him. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And believer, if you've wandered away from God and you are flirting with worldliness and you're, you're toying with sin and you're living in a way that's not in line with your Father's will, come back to God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. If you're here today and you profess Christ but your life says you don't know Him, you do not know Him, there's hope for you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Draw near through Christ. Come to him on the grounds of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Put your faith in Christ, and he will rescue you. He says in verse 8, cleanse and purify. Cleanse your, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. You're double-minded. The call here is to Old Testament language of purification. And it speaks to the need to deal with both the inward and the outward. You see that? Your hands and your heart. Because... We need to deal with the outward sin of things like that he's talked about, quarrels and fights and murder and outward sin. But we also need to deal with the inward sins of our misplaced desires and sinful desires and things going on in our heart. We have to deal with both. We have to deal with the fights and the desires, in other words. In verse 9, he says we need to, to mourn over our sin. Verse 9 describes the overall attitude of a repentant person. The one who humbly comes to God. If we are really repentant, we will mourn our sin. Not laugh at it. Yeah, God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to love him, but not joy in sin. Repentant people mourn their sin. They hate it. They turn from it. We find our joy not in sin, but in God. And James is calling on people here. If you're given over to sin, if you're living in sin right now, you need to mourn. You need to weep. You need to turn to God because he's your only hope. The one you're at war with is the only one who can save you. So lay down arms and come to him and receive him by faith. Receive Christ. In verse 10, James says, when I, we humble ourselves in this way before the Lord, he will exalt us. In other words, if we, if we hold our head high in pride and rebellion, God's going to bring us low. He's going to bring us low. And if we humble ourselves in repentance, God will lift us up and he will forgive us and he will empower us to live for him. Listen, whether you are a believer who has flirted with worldliness or, or someone enslaved to sin in the world who, who needs to be set free, repentance is always the answer. Humbly coming to God is always the answer. Humble yourself and receive God's grace. Mourn your sin. Submit to God. Turn away from sin. Receive God's grace through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here today watching this right there wherever you're at and, and you've never repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do so today. Do so 
today. Experience what the Bible calls the new birth. If you'll admit you're a sinner, believing that, that, that yes, you're a sinner, you've rebelled against God, and your sin deserves God's judgment, but if you'll believe that God loves you and he sent his son to die in your place on the cross, Jesus Christ is God's son, and the Father sent him to die for you, to bear your sin on the cross, to take the punishment you deserve, and he's been risen from the dead. And if you'll turn away from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will save you. So if you're here and you've played games with church and, and, and you claim one thing but you live another and, you know, and, and, and you're a fake or you're a phony and you're, and you're watching this right now and you think there's no hope for me, I'm just giving over to the world. There is hope for you and your hope is God's grace. And so humbly come to God today. And if you do that or if you've got questions about that, we would love for you to reach out to us and let us walk with you through that or celebrate your conversion with you. You can email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Info at gonorthpark.com. Let us know if you've got questions or if, you're, if, you, if you make a decision today to follow Christ. It's as simple. As the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. If you turn from sin to Christ, you can be saved. Call on him. Ask him to forgive you. And can I just say, our nation needs right now, on its 244th birthday weekend, what it needs is for people to humbly turn to God and receive the grace of God. The way of worldliness is abundant in our nation. People call good evil and evil good. People do what is right in their own eyes, just like we see in the book of Judges. Uh, a news commentator recently said something I saw on one channel about how ultimately our, our hope, what we need is, what we don't really need is, is, is to look up to God. The answers are within ourselves. No, right? might have meant well, but no, that's the way of the world. Listen, we, what we need is God. And what we need is God's grace. What we need is, is God's mercy. We absolutely need God. And what the world around us needs right now, what our fellow citizens need right now in the nation that most of us watching this call home, is to see the church repentant for our sin and for any worldliness in our lives. Coming back to God in humble repentance. They need to see what mourning sin looks like from us and humility looks like from us and repentance looks like from us and faith in Christ looks like from us and what transformation looks like in us. Because if we, if we want to see a great awakening in our nation, and oh, I do, and see many people who are far from God come to Christ, it begins with a great revival in our churches, and our coming back to God. So let's, let's forsake any hint of worldliness, and let's come humbly to God, because the only one who can conquer, the only way, that only, the only one who can conquer a worldly heart is God. The only way our worldly heart can be conquered is through God's grace. We need the grace of God. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for your word today for your truth and for the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that though we struggle and we fail and we fall and we mess up, even as followers of Christ, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we confess we need the grace of God. Uh, we need Jesus. We need your help. Uh, God, if we had to merit your favor, we wouldn't stand a chance. So we thank you for the unmerited favor you show us through Jesus Christ. Praise be to your name. And I pray right now, Lord, for anyone watching today who doesn't have a relationship with Christ, that right now, that you would stir their heart to turn away from sin to Jesus and put their faith and trust in him. I pray, Lord, for believers right now that you would root worldliness out of our hearts and turn our hearts to you, that we would humbly come to you. And, and Lord, I, I, that we would be a people, that we'd be a people that pursue the things of God, that pursue holiness. Lord, I pray right now over our nation. Lord, I pray that you would bring revival to our churches. 
that Bible-believing people all over this land would forsake sin and putting our hope in false idols, and Lord, that we would turn to Christ and that we would preach the gospel and that we would live wisely and that we would live godly lives as lights in a crooked and perverse generation and that we would lead people to faith in Jesus as we proclaim the good news in him. And I pray for our nation today, Lord, that you would bring a great awakening here and all over the world, that many people would turn to Jesus away from worldliness and away from sin and to Jesus and saving faith. In his name we do pray, amen.